0: All right, guys, on today's episode of the Trade Busters podcast, we have something a little bit different. This episode is going to be called Hedging Roundtable. Um, I guess we could call it Real Talk with Real Traders because I do have two of my guys from the Discord. We have uh, Notional Ed, and uh, let's see, we'll just call him Ed for this episode. And we have Mike, let's see here, Mike A 59 Also from the Discord, we'll just call him Mike, uh, two of the guys who've been in my Discord a while. And today I wanted to do um, why hedging roundtable because if you guys have not go ahead and listen to my episode called hedging revisited and it was kind of just my thoughts on on hedging and kind of expectations and because hedging is a very hard thing to do uh, depending on your expectations and how you implement it and but rather than just kind of me talking again i figured i'd get two guys on who are actually trading and and just get a little bit idea bouncing back and forth and get some feedback and show you what it's like to have two people who are actually trading these things and kind of the thoughts that go through their head, you know, and I may or may not be able to provide some feedback or kind of give some insight. Um, just thought it would uh, change things up a bit. So with that said, Ed and Mike, thank you guys for joining me today on The Trade Busters. Thank you, David. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So why don't we get started? I know we were just talking a little beforehand. Both of you a trade, essentially a a trade called the 111 or the 112, and this is an interesting trade because the structure of it is basically um, a put debit spread, which is going to be naturally bearish, plus an additional naked put. So the 111 means you have one put debit spread, is one long, one short, and then a one naked, you know, somewhere a little bit further out of the money, or 112, which is one long, one short, so one put debit spread and then two naked puts. And I think with that one, you're a little more aggressive, you get more premium, um, you can kind of exit that. And and uh, the first question, I guess, is the approach for that strategy, are you looking uh-huh. at this in and of itself as an income trade, or are you trying to use the naked puts to quote-unquote fund or finance uh, the put-debit spread and ultimately exit and kind of get like a quote-unquote free hedge? Um, I guess, Ed, why don't we start with you, just kind of the mentality um what what is your take on that as far as the the objective of of that trade in and of itself notwithstanding anything else you have in the portfolio mm-hmm. i know you have kind of a blend but just just what drew you to the 111112 kind of approach
1: it it was the built in hedge part and um so uh, my answer would be both so i i view it as is a built in hedge and um of some type, it's like a grind down hedge. It, 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 it's, um,
0: <clears throat> it basically unit. triggers on, it, it won't work, let's say, if, if the market tanks immediately <laughs> when right. you put it on. A debit
1: know. spread, is an, it, when you first put it on, it's an immature structure. It's not very responsive to the market because it's so far out DTE wise. And, and it gets much stronger as it approaches the end of its life. You know, as you enter the last days of the put debit spread days or a couple of weeks, it becomes much more responsive to price action. Uh, So it's a pseudo hedge in that as it gets older, it it, it gives you like I do a 50 wide. That's the common width of these things. It seems like it gives you that 50 wide protection and a a pullback and it's grind down protection because it's not super responsive, but it can be more responsive at the tail end. Um, and at the same time, I do. I was using it from my main source of theta as well. So I would campaign these by doing one and pull in the one one one, pull the premium in, and then when the, the naked gets down to about ninety percent, eighty five to ninety percent profitable,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I would take it off and leave the existing put debit spread on, and then immediately go back. And add another 111.
0: Another full tranche, right? Okay. Yeah, another
1: full. And I do vacillate between the 111, 112, depending on market dynamics and my personal preference at the time. But that's how I do it. So I end up throwing out a, 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 a campaign of put debit spreads from my 11X trading. And I call it my put debit spread wall of protection because over time, it does build up put debit spreads in the account.
0: Your net long in the end paid for. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And
1: if in a pullback, I, I just view it that the market has to go through all those put debit spreads, generating to... profit before I get smashed on the naked. Now, that that's great unless I'm over levered on the naked side, which I tend to not be.
0: Got it. Um, Mike, what about you? What's your take on that?
2: Yeah. So I first came across this um, in one of the online. It was Discord or Facebook. I've seen it in multiple sites, and I I recognize it immediately as wow, this is a actually a a hedge, Um, and that was kind of what I was looking for—some kind of a a hedge. And when I first saw it, it it's like this is a a no-brainer hedge. And then you know, looking at it a a little bit closer, it's again, it's not a a protection for these major like overnight twenty percent drops, you know. black swan event so I, I came to realize that but uh, initially i saw it as a hedge where you can still make a little bit of uh, premium um, on it as well so that's what i do i i campaign these as well um, and i do these on es i think I, some people do them on on uh, and, um, micro minis right um so yeah, this initially I I like it attracted me because of, of the hedging component.
0: So I guess it's uh it sounds like a, an income trade that kind of has a built-in hedge, or you can use it to fund a free hedge ultimately to hedge maybe something else you have in your in your in your book. Um so quick mm-hmm. question. I, I have some thoughts, but yeah, uh, just a yes or no from you two. Do you guys, in conjunction with the one one two, do you trade that structure paired with like an additional Specific kind of black swan hedge, maybe either, uh, ninety DT, you know, teenies, you know, low delta puts, or some. Ad- do you have basically like an additional hedge on top of that, or do you consider that PDS the put debit spread kind of, kind of the the built-in hedge? Uh, uh Ed, quick, just uh, uh okay. do do, you do like an additional black swan hedge?
1: I, I uh, don't now, David, okay. but I have studied those either through your uh material or elsewhere okay. and I've looked at it I just haven't found anything that I feel is uh, healthy for me to add I, that's a bad choice yeah yeah no no I, uh, in, uh, I can address it,
0: that too uh, that, that and, makes sense I get what and, and I'm
1: there. targeting uh, uh, and I won't get in too much of the dynamic unless you ask me but I'm targeting a, a modest rate of return and okay. so to me to add that three percent hedging um, which is kind of the standard use, 3% of your account portfolio divided yeah. by the frequency of entry, yada, yada. Right. I find that to be, um, for whatever reason, undesirable. And, and I tell myself that it's not really needed because, and I'll just briefly get into it, but I do the 11X mostly to throw off to put debit spreads and generate some theta. My okay. main theta comes from my spy put campaign, which is a theta engine campaign. Okay. So, the, the, the put debit spreads are really there to protect my spy puts that are otherwise unhedged. And because of the max book of spy puts that I have and the, generally the amount of paid for, quote unquote, put debit spreads that I have, I feel like if the market has a huge pullback, I'm going to have all those put debit spreads paying me off, which is going to offset the cost of those naked, naked spies, um, some of which... Um, Uh, basically giving me some hedge on the blow up that's happening there. And I have so little naked put on the 11X part, I might have one, maybe two max contracts of of nakeds to support those. Okay, It's not that damaging. It's the spy campaign that's going to be more blow up for me. And that's basically falls into my risk tolerance of what would happen in a major blow up and what am I comfortable with? I'm not opposed to them at all. I just haven't really found that little piece of the pie to put into the the recipe yet.
0: Okay. Makes sense. Mike, what about you? Do you, do you have like a separate black swan hedge or do you kind of just manage the risk either with the stop loss and hoping that the the PDS, like I said, when it matures it, it will have a nice kind of a bear trap as they call it. But uh, is that, do you do anything else in addition?
2: I don't have a a extra hedge. uh, And I, am like, like, yeah, I, I realize that I, have it especially And i've kind of realized i've over over traded my one one twos when you talk about the total notional that i'm exposed to you know like 5x uh, my account right now and that's like okay that's a problem i need to address that so no i, I do not have it but i realize i need to i'm looking for something like it mm-hmm.
0: yeah okay so a couple of thoughts i had and um I don't trade. I I've heard of the 11X kind of style trade before. If we look at it in and of itself as just a trade structure, right? It's a put debit spread with a naked put underneath, right? Either one or two, depending on how you do the ratio and the exposure and the theta you want. But one thing that uh I always try to keep in mind, like there's no such thing as necessarily. You know, people talk about a finance hedge or a free hedge. And obviously, there's there's nothing left that's going to be free. Now, in this case, yes, the, the argument you can say is like, okay, if I put on the put-debit spread and I, I put on a naked put for credit and I take it off once the credit or theta I've captured from the naked put equals what I would have spent on the debit spread, right? Once that happens, you take the naked put off, your put-debit spread is free, right? That That's kind of the, the magic um, that people mm-hmm. like like to, to say. But keep in mind, yes, from like a financial aspect, like like monetary dollars, yes, you might be net even after that naked put comes off. And that's why they think of it as a finance. But while the put was on, the naked pull was on, that trade is net negative vega right? And it's probably net positive delta until that naked put decays to something very small. We know that Mm -hmm. when we first go on, depending on the ratio, it's either going to be, it might be delta neutral, but it's going to be negative vega. Or if you have the ratio with two naked puts, it's definitely positive delta, right? So you have risk exposure. So that's the thing to keep in mind, right? You can't think of only after, okay, after I've legged out, it's paid for, right? But Mm -hmm. what you paid beforehand was risk because if you put on that structure and the market tanks immediately and volatility explodes, that structure is very vulnerable, right? You've you've touched on that, Ed, earlier. So one thing to just keep in mind that like in and of itself, that structure has risk. So you've mm-hmm. paid for the hedge by assuming that risk to begin with. Okay. Now, this isn't to say that the trade is good or bad. This is just something that like people may not think about and like things like you always want to like look at the other side of like the good and the bad right if something's working great but why does it work and where is the cost right now you touch upon and this is reason people campaign the trade right because this structure um you're essentially taking advantage of the differential in the k and the greek so the the put de- the put debit spread as you mentioned is not very sensitive in the beginning because the long and the short option, right? If you do a fifty wide on SPX or ES, for example, the fifty wide isn't actually that wide in the beginning, and the Greeks of those two uh, legs of the debit spread are gonna kind of equal out, and so the debit spread won't react a lot if there's a drop early. But as it ages, um, because your put your long put is closer to the money, I don't know what delta you start with, but then the the back leg it decays faster. So that's why you get the put-debit spread is kind of more potent as you get close to expiration. And you said in like the last 14 days, maybe? Is that what it was? Okay. I would think so, yeah. Because in in that last 14 days, if the market drops into that pocket, you're going to get immediate benefit of the long put, Mm -hmm. right? Now, on the other hand- I look at it
1: like a shock absorber. It's almost like a a shock absorber or a volatility muffle.
0: Yes, but Uh, it needs time to mature. Yeah, yeah but,
1: it just kind of absorbs some of that volatility. But
0: it needs time to mature. And that's it does. the campaign. And you can only get that
1: from the campaign. Exactly. And so
0: if you put it on one structure in and of itself, as the put debris spread gets stronger, the naked put is getting weaker. Right. And you pointed to that mm-hmm. exactly. That that difference mm-hmm. in behavior is, I guess, the appeal of this uh, strategy. And then by layering them, the older ones protect the uh the younger ones i guess and yes that, and that's the that's the idea
1: yeah now- the older put debit spread protects the newer naked put in fact when i start a campaign of these i'll start it with the same dte maybe it's 60 maybe it's 70 something mm-hmm. like that and then as soon as that put debit spread is paid for i take off the naked put and i put on another one 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 typically and and then i'll let it decay and then so i have that first put debit spread is getting older it's approaching its zero dte it may i might be only 2 or 3 weeks in on the second one and the the, the first put debit spread may have 45 or 60 days left on it. So it's still an immature structure in and of itself. Yeah,
0: it's, it's pretty path-dependent. But dependent, over time, um,
1: yeah, over weeks that, that you campaign these things and you end up with quite a few of them in various DTEs. And I, and then as I get into it, I, once I have a little campaign of these existing structures of the put-debit spread in place, new one I actually um, diagonalize. So I might do the put debit spread in a 45 or a 60, and I might go out to 70 to 90 or so on the naked. Um, I don't do it at the beginning of a campaign, but I do that later on because I always view the the brand new put debit spread that I'm doing with the brand new naked is not not. protecting the naked. It's the older ones. So they're kind of a team working together.
0: Um, the, which
1: is the campaign nature. And mm-hmm.
0: so the thing, though, is that in this case, one thing to think about, and the difference of, um, for example, something like Theta Engine and why I prefer to trade it just naked. Now, that has a stop loss as kind of the primary line of defense, right? And then people mm-hmm. can argue about whether a stop loss is a hedge or not. I get that's more of a reactive thing, whereas with the 111, the appeal is you have, have something... Kind of that's already in place. It's kind of proactive, um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you know, you're 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 really just managing the structure and the whole book. Um, and with a naked put, really, <laughs> data engine is just a naked put combo, right? I don't have that put debit spread in front. But what I want to get at is when I'm just looking at the naked put, I am, you know, you get all the good and the bad, right? You get the higher theta. Obviously, you get the higher risk. You get the because you, you don't have the you know you're short Vega when you're naked put. But as you said, with a one 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 that put debit spread really isn't doing that much necessarily in the beginning, anyways. And you kind of have to campaign them. And so one thing I think about is if I am doing the uh, you know one 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 to finance the put debit spread, and like you said, you're using that to get the free hedge. To quote unquote actually hedge your theta engine. But then here's how I look at it. The the naked put on the 111, you're really just adding more trades, right? If if you strip these apart, the what theta engine is a naked put, right? And then mm-hmm. 111 is naked put plus the put debit spread. So if you trade theta engine and then the 111, you know, guess what? You're just trading more theta engine. Right, conceptually, <laughs> does that make sense? And so there is this kind of feedback of let's and you mentioned you want kind of a low return target to begin with, okay. So let's just do a kind of like a thought experiment. Let's say I want to have ten percent return, okay? and i'm I'm doing this with theta engine or naked post or whatever it is and can trade. So I size my strategy to get my ten percent return. but okay, I go, okay, well, I kind of want to have some protection just in case, right? So I add some. I want to have some put debit spreads, for instance, right? So and I want to buy whatever it is once a month, whatever delta. And let's say this costs you, I don't know, one percent over a year. Okay, you, you project it out. Well, if you do that, you know, you've lowered now instead of ten percent return. If I'm paying one percent on hedging, I've lowered it by one percent. So my return is nine percent, right? But you go okay. Mm -hmm. Well, if I need my ten percent return, now I've got to bump up my trade a little bit to hit the the ten percent, right? So then you you scale up either you add naked puts, you know, a lot of one one one, or you scale up data engine, and so maybe I'm targeting eleven percent return, and then with my one percent hedge, you know, I'm at the ten. But you can get in these cycles where like, you know, if if the if that hedging is just gonna bring you back down to some return, you can almost argue that like if I just didn't hedge and didn't size up, I kind of be back at square one, right? Because when you're doing a hedge trade, it's a little weird if you think about because you even mentioned earlier, like sometimes even when the naked put has gone and you you have to put debit spread there, it's it's yes, it's, it's something you want, but there's a bleed there. So you mm-hmm. look at it as like a drag on your PL, right? So by mm-hmm. nature, that put debit spread it's kind of like exactly opposite of what you want to happen when you trade data engine, right? Put debit spread wants the market to go down. Data engine wants the market to go up or or naked put. And so if you're trading two things that are kind of opposite, sometimes it's a little weird in terms of like, what exactly are you trying to get at? Because if you trade two things that are kind of the, the antithesis of each other, it kind of just ends up net nowhere. And It, it is a
1: tug of war. Yeah, exactly. It's a tug
0: of war. Um, Mike, do you notice that at all? Like, I know how long have you been trading it, and do do you get that feeling sometimes? Or um, I don't know how long have you have run it, but like, just like your thoughts and experience on, you know, do, yes, do you like you're financing the hedge, but then the hedge doesn't work, or like not doesn't work. But like in a case where it, like, let's say there wasn't, you didn't fall in that bear trap, right? The the put the debit spread just kind of bleeds out to nothing, and then you kind of start the whole thing over, and that part of your book is kind of just churning for nothing, right? Do you do you ever get that feeling? Um. Or um
2: you- so I've been doing it. A, a, I don't know, not quite a year, less than a year, nine months maybe. Okay. And you know, once a, uh, I probably have four on at a time, and and uh, do pull one off a week, every week or two, and put a new one on. Um. And so your points about the Greeks, and I, I, I'm not quite catching your your points at this, at this time. Um, Cause oh, I, I don't see, not see what, what's
0: your. Specifically what the 11X is that the put debit spread, it's really two structures slapped together that kind of have different Greeks because the put debit spread is going to mature and get stronger late in the cycle. If you do like a 90 DT or 60 DT late in the cycle, that put debit spread gets stronger. Whereas the naked put is kind of the opposite. Now remember, you're short the put, so it's kind of working against you. You want it to decay, and so when you get later in the cycle, the risk, uh, the the structure as a whole kind of shifts from being positive delta to negative delta, because like it actually benefits if it kind of drops right in that pocket. Without if it if it blows past, <laughs> your naked put can still be toast, right? If you haven't taken it off. Right. So there's a shift between. The the way the the put debit spread reacts to time versus the naked put. um Does that make sense, Mike? At least high level. I, I,
2: I see that. Okay. um But I I'm basically looking at my my trade logs, and I've done maybe thirty or forty of them,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and I haven't had a loss. Um, and i I'm doing a a, a manual stop of about two hundred percent on the whole whole.
0: So you haven't had to hit that yet so far.
2: Yeah, that, that that's kind of what I'm looking at. Is like this is working for me, um, and the, the points that you're making some very fine points that that are, I'm sure are very valid. And the other thing that's kind of I, I have in my mind is that whenever I come across a strategy that I, I believe it has a positive expectancy, you know, you you want to have. You, you can't you can't really know the expectancy because if you backtest or if you're trading for a little while, it's only an estimation, right? So you don't know the real expectancy. But if it's if it's a slight edge, if you have a slight edge, then it takes many many opportunities, many many trades to, to verify your that you have a positive expectancy. It's like the law of large numbers, right? You have to have the more more trials you have the closer you will get to the actual theoretical expectancy so the thing i'm i'm kind of wrestling with on this kind of a trade is you don't get very many opportunities right when you're campaigning this once a week once a couple weeks
0: yeah 20 to 50 get, a year you know, right a
2: 100 or a 1, thousand actual trials you know you're going to be doing this for years before you mm-hmm. get any kind of verification so if, if there's a, a better system like uh I don't know, the theta engine where you have more opportunities or or other like that's I do mainly zero DTE. And that's one of the reasons I like zero DTE is you have many, many opportunities. I think I've found an edge there. And and that um is a form of risk management in my mind, because zero DTE, you're out at the end of the day, um, and you can manage any kind of Catastrophe that might happen. You don't have that overnight risk, um, and it, it's almost a, a form. Of, I w- wouldn't say it's a form of hedging, but it's definitely a type of risk management. In that you have a huge number of opportunities to to verify your your, your strategy, and you're you're out at the end of the day.
0: You're trading kind of one risk for another, right? With zero DT, um, and I want to pull it back to the longer data, but just to mention. Zero DT, you're kind of trading that overnight risk and the vega risk, but you're you're, you're taking the gamma risk, right? Because the execution right. becomes a, a lot more challenging. Um, yeah. But one thing that you mentioned about the opportunity set, if you're campaigning something like 111 or 11X, you could, depending on the the size of your account, um, if you could trade a smaller product, because you could enter every day, um, kind of like data engine style, but I think with the nature of that structure being a spread it's just like a lot more leverage so if you traded one every day I think you would end up with a really large uh notional exposure and I don't know if um because you're you're are you is there a reason you guys are doing that actually i I can think I can answer my question I was gonna ask why are you doing one one x with like s p x versus like spy but I think I know why is it because when you're trading a tight spread um it's just like a five wide spy debit spread isn't really gonna give you any juice, right? If your you, your target is to get that debit spread to kick in, right? So you want that to be big, but then for that to be big, you need a larger product to uh to I guess do the financing. So I, I think it just works with the larger <clears throat> notional product. Is that is that why it ends up being that way? No one does it with with spy.
1: I think it's the twelve fifty six nature of okay, the, there's, the, there's that the option okay. in the future. Yeah, I think it's the the twelve fifty six nature. So you have superior taxing, uh, or you know, preferential tax treatment there, and you also have no wash sale rules to be bothered with.
0: And, that makes sense, um, there's a lot th- of th- those are, long and short <laughs> going yeah, back and forth. Th-
1: th- those okay. are my main reasons um, for doing the one one x. I did do one one X in spy at the beginning, and uh, it was during twenty twenty two during some of the blow ups. I did get some tent action, some profit tent
0: action out of that. And um, just for the listeners who don't know, it meant mm-hmm. you actually hit a a path that a sequence of market events where it happened that you had a mature tranche and the market fell into, or yes. almost fully or at least partially into the debit mm-hmm. spread. So you were actually mm-hmm. able to profit. From Mm -hmm. the market dropping as opposed to taking losses. Okay.
1: On the put debit spread portion. But usually um, if I'm profiting on the put debit spread portion, the naked that is is at least attached to that tranche is in danger. It needs defense. It needs to be stopped out. It needs to be rolled.
0: Right. So
1: I, I used to roll. Uh, And I would just take that batch of premium and roll it out and down two or three weeks, you know, out two weeks and away from the price action as much as it would go and generate either a tiny credit or even sometimes a tiny debit. And that worked every time in 2022. Um, In the last few months, I've had a new um, thought process on that and that, that's where we always are, David. In a pullback, our, our our metrics kind of blow up on us. We feel tested. We feel stressed. And if things stop there and new, and, and stay level and or start to recover, we're, we're golden. But we never know when that spring is going to get stretched and bounce back or that spring is going to get stretched and break. And if it gets stretched and it breaks, our leverage is so high at that break that's when the disaster happens i mean you might be down x percent in a in a a grind down like we had in march for instance you might be down a certain percent in your account um but I'm sorry, I lost my train well, of
0: thought. Well, I was going to say you're yeah. you're you're always close to a blow up. So here's
1: yeah answer. yeah yeah. So you're kind of teetering on a pivot point. You're almost teetering on. Am I going to be okay, or am I going to be a disaster? And if it's if it turns out being okay, great, we were okay. But if it's a disaster, it's almost too late to do anything at that point. So instead of rolling, I've adopted your your 3X stop. And I do think that stop is a hedge in and of itself because it does keep you from blowing up further on that tranche. Right. And my the old me would have rolled and waited. And if my, my metric said, okay, you can put on a new position, I'd put it on. Now I'm doing the premium scheduling thing where I put premium in in a certain schedule. So if I blow up on a Tuesday and I'm not due to do another trade until Friday, or next week, I can't put on another trade. So uh, for better or worse, I'm stuck with what I have. I'm either stuck with, oops, I just stopped out. I don't have the extra premium in, in case we rally, but I also don't have the extra premium in case we continue to plunge. So yeah, it's a exactly. give me got you kind of thing. And I'd rather take the conservative route. So I have a, only in the last couple of months have I really begun to respect the stop versus the roll. Because I see how beneficial it is in a true bombshell event.
0: So a couple of points I want to bring up. Actually, let me type a quick note here. So something that you mentioned just now, and and that goes to my point about the whole idea of a free hedge. So you mentioned whenever that debit spread is in a position that it is going to benefit, Mm-hmm. Probably the naked put is in a position that is being hurt, right? So does the this Absolutely. idea of and the whole like,
1: portfolio as well. Yes, mm-hmm.
0: and, and so really, the idea of like trying to go after this magic paid for hedge, I feel like puts your motive, your um, your incentives. Sometimes it doesn't align, right? And so right. really, you're just taking on risk anyways. And so for me, it's like for me, it's more clean cut just to say, hey. If I want a debit spread, if I want hedge, if I want protection, I'm just going to pay for it. There's this cost. And this is why I kind of developed the whole bomb shelter and vibranium shield with the trinity system. There's a fixed cost. I know what it is. Mm-hmm. And on the income trade, which is the risk side, I will manage it in, an, in isolation to size it, whatever I want. And, and that's why I would stop it out as opposed to rolling or trying to do something with the short option to try and finagle and get it to match up with the, the the hedge when you kind of commingle the two, which is the, the 11x is a structure that kind of tries to connect the dots between the thing you want and the thing you don't want. Right. And I get that it's appealing to to think that they just work together that way. But at the end of the day, for me, it's simpler to strip those apart, which leads to kind of the idea of tail hedging because if you have the one one x, and you recognize that it does have its own vulnerability, right? If if in isolation, if it matures, great. It has a bear trap. You can take advantage of that. But when you're campaigning, you're always going to be putting on new ones, right? So there's always going to be the ones that are vulnerable. So what happens mm-hmm. if the market really explodes downwards and the volatility really explodes at the worst time? So you do need something kind of as a as a backstop. Now, if it's not a monster gap, right? And you have a stop. That's the easiest one because you can get out of the short. And I don't know if you get out as a package or not, but like if you get out of the short, you know, you, then maybe the put debit spur will have some benefit. If you get out as a package, you get out as a package. That's fine. But you have something additional now. Ribranium Shield, for instance, it's just a simple ninety-day teeny. There's nothing really fancy about mm-hmm. that, and the fact that it's not sophisticated. Sometimes it almost seems like it's not going to do anything. But at the end of the day, like what really I'm concerned with, if I have risk management first and foremost as a way to risk off, then I'm only worried about, you know, with the black swan or the, you know, the thing that you never think is going to happen 20% down gap, which people talk about circuit breakers and, and all that. So whether or not that can or cannot happen. But the point is like, to not be dependent on anything, right? If I say, "Oh, I don't believe it's going to be a twenty percent gap because there's circuit breakers," I mean that's fine. You're probably right, but you're still dependent on some thing that you believe is going to be true, right? And a black swan usually is something you don't know it's going to happen, or you don't think it's going to be true, happens yeah. right, something out of the blue. And so you could, uh, you know, pay for some, some. You mentioned kind of the three percent budget or whatever it is and have something where if markets really explode this is, is is convexity the convexity is what you want so people talk about like a ratio so you know for for bomb shelter for instance it's one short put on the data engine to two long puts you know and they're tiny mm-hmm. they're one and a half delta whatever so yes they're not going to really do anything right in 2022 especially since 2020 was a grind down <laughs> did nothing, right? It just cost. Now mm-hmm. I think in an instance, even in an instance like COVID, um, it's funny because COVID had like a six or seven percent um gaps, which is kind of the worst in recent history. But volatility was really uh, was a was already very high as we ramped up into like mid February and stuff. So the the short puts on Theta Engine they just hit the normal stops. There wasn't really anything gappy. They didn't blow up, right? So even then, yes. No, the, the, the Vibranium showed it, it made some profits, but it wasn't necessarily that like humongous, like, uh, you know, 10 or 20 bagger, depending on if you, mm-hmm. um how long you held them. But the idea really is like, if you have something where it's that bad, then it can be a kind of a backstop. But what I want to point out is anything that's going to be naturally have that convexity, you don't want to like overpay for at the same time, because you're just going to be paying way too much. Right. And you talk about finding that balance of the kind of like, how much do you spend? Right. Cause like everyone pays for home insurance, but mm-hmm. you don't expect it to pay out. So right. like, you only want to pay some amount that is kind of a nominal. It's, it's, it's an accepted that's, cost, right. For people. And that's of a beautiful
1: analogy because I always have a kind con- of, when I, people are always like, Oh, I want to get in the trap. I want to get in the trap. I'm like, look, a good year for me, is no trap action.
0: Yes. If I exactly. sell
1: this and I have zero trap flirting, you know, I'm not even flirting with being in the trap. I've made all the theta that I've sold and have not been impaired or stressed. So to me, that would be a golden year. I'm not fishing for the the, the trap profit.
0: But okay, so what I want to challenge your thinking a bit on that is uh-huh. so that's true. But if you had a year where you never had any trap action, right? You said yourself, I want a year. Where we don't have that bear trap action, then if that happened, right, that's your ideal year. Then think about so there's two kind of different things that could have happened. Think about in that year, how much more you would have made if you just didn't have the trap to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. Now that's in hindsight, of course. Or Mm -hmm. conversely, how much smaller you could have traded without the trap. And still made the same profit, right? Because if you didn't have the bear trap, the PDS dragging the profits, because it's gonna be a drag. Yeah, you could you probably trade, trade a small. third less. Yeah. And, and that's that whole cycle I'm talking about. And it's Ooh. something you have to wrestle with because, like, on the year on the years you, you hit the trap, right? It, it's it's probably gonna be bad, or you gotta do a lot of management on, on the risk or the income trade side. And on the years that you don't hit the trap, well then. It was just a cost, right? And and that, again, that's hindsight. And obviously, it's there for a reason. But like, you just have to think about like what exactly you really want and where the path dependency is and where your risk really right, where your risk really lie. Mike, um, you mentioned you said it was like nine months or so that you've been trading this. Yeah. Right. Okay. So this was uh, mid twenty twenty
2: two. Yeah, like mid like
0: were there any cycles where you okay? I don't trade this myself, but I've talked to people that do. And and it actually felt like 2022 happened to be a good year in terms of the cyclicality of the ups and downs where mm-hmm. it would the market would grind up, all the traps would mature, and then we'd land in it. And it, it would happen like over and over. And I felt like it happened like two times or three times. Did you have mm-hmm. any when you started, Mike, that just landed right in the trap? I know. Yeah,
2: I had, I've had about maybe like less than ten percent land
0: in the in the trap. Okay,
2: just a handful.
0: Um, but and then the rest would just the rest would um, just
2: the rest are just off for the yeah, yeah, yeah it would just run. win. Okay,
0: yeah. okay, Ed, that was kind of your experience last year. Was I feel like last year? How long? How far back did you did you trade these, Ed? Uh,
1: in early twenty twenty two,
0: I okay. started. <laughs> okay. Was there at least and like two cycles where they just, it seemed three, like magic? Okay.
1: Three three cycles uh, and even more. And then David, the thing is once you get in the tent, then there's tent management. Like where do I want to take profit on this thing? Or do yeah. I want to take profit? Do I just want to use it to absorb some of that drawdown and never take it off? Or do I want to ring the register? And I mean, I rang the register for some at max profit and that's like 50 out of 50 points. I think I got out of a couple of them at 49 and three quarters on the last day. But that meant the nakeds that were attached to it and other nakeds in my portfolio were under stress. So it's not perfect. And I always viewed this you know, through my learning journey, which is still continuing. I always viewed this put debit spread campaign as the best I can do until I figure out something else. And that's where I am now. I realize there's a cost. And when I put on a 1-1X and then the naked decays enough to pay for the put debit spread, I take the naked put off leaving the put debit spread paid for, I always layer in another naked underneath the existing put debit spreads that I have to account for the remaining decay of the put debit spread. Because like you implied earlier, if you have a $500 ES put debit spread that's quote paid for because you just took the naked off, it's paid for right now, but it's still going to decay 500 more dollars over the course of its life. Good point. So- I tend to put enough naked underneath my put debit spread wallet protection campaign, quote unquote, to keep funding the not only the initial cost, but the ongoing decay. So that's how I'm addressing that. Yes, I have a bombshell exposure because I have one or two ES contracts underneath the structure at any given time that are basically only protected by the put debit spread campaign itself. So it's far less than perfect. I am very, you know, as I've gotten back in, into your stud, because I started in your room, kind of went elsewhere. I'm back in your room. I'm learning, relearning the things that I really couldn't conceptualize early on in your room. And to me, the bomb shelter uh, is, it, it speaks to me because it's a per trade insurance. Yes. Instead of doing the flat 3%, because in my campaign, I have this, you know, modestized portfolio where I'm running a lot of T-bills to generate a good amount of my premium. And then I'm layering the spy theta engine and I'm doing the 1-1X to kind of throw off some theta and and some and, and some put debit spread protection. I don't like the 3% thing because I feel like I'm over hedging and I don't really know how to figure out how much hedge I should use. So I kind of like the 10% of your premium sold as a bomb shelter. Hedge. Yeah. It's so, more of a targeted hedge that I can. That's why it speaks to me. And, and these all of these things are insurance policies. I love your homeowners or your auto insurance, like especially your homeowners. You never expect it to pay. No one ever expects to have a homeowner's claim. But no one really ever kind of like dreads paying their insurance premium because they know the downside and a disaster is way more than they can take on.
0: Yeah, uh, but it is
1: a throwaway cost. So I look at hedging as a throwaway cost. It's not something any more than that. It, it's something you pay for to get a benefit of that you're probably never going to use. And even though these things set up with like a 99 plus probability of profit, typically, in reality, we had COVID. In reality, we had 2018. In reality, we had <laughs> the Great Recession of 2008, 2009, where I think the market went down like 65% or something. <laughs> um, there are, and that's just in the last 15 years, you know, and, and I, I'm in my early 60s. So I could name other events like 99 into 2000 and the grind down happened after that, 1987. You know, th- that's just in my little short, and then even in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, another horrific period for the market. So I think people look at these things and they look at the pop and they're like, eh, you know, one chance out of a hundred, it's not very often, but the reality is I think we can do these types of, of trades for years and then all of a sudden have an account blow out. And I don't want to trade for 10, 12, 14 years. And, and I'm pulling money out of my account. I'm not in growth phase. I'm in income generation phase. I don't want to do that for two years, eight years, 10 years, 15 years. And then have some incident where my account gets wiped out. It, it, it's not a good deal.
0: In, so actually, I thought of an analogy just now. Um, I don't know if it's the best one, but let me clarify real quick. And 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 something I should clarify earlier too. When you're talking about the three percent thing, this is a portfolio level. Like if you want to buy insurance for your portfolio, because people may be trading different strategies or they may have equities, right? So when we're talking about three percent, we're talking about three percent on like some kind of evergreen tail hedge, where you're just always spending. Now the 10% in the bomb shelter for people who, most people should know what that is, but for people who don't, we're talking about a, a specific per trade, per position tail hedge. Now I thought of an analogy just now, again, I know this is the best one. there's always ways to poke holes in an analogy, so just bear with me, mm-hmm. but the, the difference I see, okay, when you're trading something like a put-debit spread that's always paired with the um, you're trying to finance that hedge or if you're tr- doing some kind of hedging for your portfolio, it's kind of like driving with the brakes on, right? You're, you're, you're always holding the brakes to not go too fast so you don't crash. Mm-hmm. But my argument of uh, the tail hedge, something like the bomb shelter, which is only for that mega black swan thing that you just never... Uh, can account for. It's kind of like the airbags, right? You never want the airbags to deploy, but if you do have that crash, they'll come out, you know, and they'll save you, right? And so if you're going to have one or the other, my argument was kind of like, if you have the airbags, you don't need to hold the brakes, right? They're just going to slow you down and you're just going to wear out the brakes and you're just going to have to, you know, burn more gas to get to a certain destination, right? If you know the airbags are there, at least... You won't die in a crash. You can afford to maybe drive a little faster. You still gotta be careful, but you don't have to be holding the brakes. So I feel like when you're doing something that's again, I I I, I use this uh, phrase of like if you're trading one thing that's kind of the antithesis of the other, like you're you, you're trading a naked put campaign, but you're also trying to you know finance these put debasement. It's it's basically like driving with the brakes on all the time. Um, it it just feels a little unnecessary at times. Um, but a uh, a tail hedge is a is, is a separate thing. It's something where like you're not worried about the occasional turbulence, right? You only you only really need that hedge, and you're willing to pay for that. Like you don't you know, you you buy home insurance if your house burns down, but you don't you don't buy something that covers like every little nick and ding, right? Because you're okay with some risk. You don't need a. Hedge, or you have a higher everything. deductible, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, th- does that kind of make sense or does that kind of. I think it's, its a perfect movie? analogy. No, I think yeah, it's a perfect can I, analogy.
2: Mm-hmm. Can I jump in and extend this uh, driving analogy? It's like driving without a seatbelt and black swan uh, related to a black swan. Yeah, but I
0: mean, the seatbelt's better. Yeah, seatbelt or airbag. COVID was a
2: black swan, 9 11, banking crisis, et cetera. One, every few years, maybe we go 10 years, there will be another black swan. I'm in my mid-60s, and the rest of my life will have at least one more black swan. It's guaranteed, right? No one can predict it, when or what it is. So anybody that's doing a lot of, again, driving, if you're doing a lot of driving and you're not using a seatbelt, it's just a matter of when you're going to have a crash and you're probably going to be seriously injured. And if When you're trading uh, like we do and you're not doing these hedges, Against these major catastrophic events, then, and I'm guilty of this because I'm not doing it right now, but I'm I'm learning and I'm going to going to start doing it. You're, it's just a matter of when you're going to blow up. Is it going to be this year, next year? It's just a matter of when. If you're if you're putting on these kind of these kind of trades with with the notional exposure that that uh, for example that I have and that others have with these 41 x's.
0: Yeah. And I was saying, like, I'm perfectly willing to pay for protection, but I think some people don't know what exactly they're paying for and what kind of situations it's going to pay off. Right. So I'm fine paying that fixed amount of drag, uh, a lot the bomb shelter, right? So a fixed percentage of the credit is going to, you know, pay for the seatbelt to stay on or pay for the airbags to deploy if I need them but I hope they never do. Um, But if you're going to have this drag uh, and you know it for just the chance that, okay, if the market happens to grind down or land in the bear trap, or if there's a very specific path dependency, okay, I might profit. Sometimes it feels like it's just kind of slowing you down for no reason. Um, Whereas with Theta Engine being just kind of a strip down to the bare bones. I'm 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 trying to capture that theta or that that specific exposure that I want. And I'm managing very cleanly with the risk management via the stop loss. Uh and it, David, kind of, it lets me focus on the goal. Yeah.
1: I think some of that is trusting the process sure. and um not wanting to or not if you the more you trust the process, the less I personally have to be uh, partially it's like I'm not all in. Mm-hmm. No head, you know, you know, trusting the process means you're all in. I'm not all in yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing these other things kind of like as a like you said, it's a tug of war. It's one fighting the other. It it, it it's a it's a partial commitment to it. It's not a full commitment to it. And, and I view my own situation as an evolutionary one in that like I said, I'm I'm using this put debit spread wallet protection campaign as I call it. Yeah, as a means to protect the overall portfolio as best I can until I figure out what I'm most comfortable with. It's better than nothing. I hear your words and you're like, well, maybe nothing is better and maybe with the stops built in, I really don't need
0: it. Well, caveat, Um, nothing is better, but also trading smaller because I kind of made that point of When you're not trying Mm -hmm. to do all this stuff to finance all this stuff, Mm -hmm. you can kind of just Mm -hmm. reduce everything, right? And that's kind of right. That may not be perfect, but like it's just another way to look at it. And I think um, sometimes people miss that.
1: And that's where I do this notional thing because I'd rather sell less absolute exposure through my SPY puts, which I admittedly have to sell at a higher delta than I would if I was just doing futures. But ultimately, I have, you know, I have just under. Uh, a two x notional exposure in the account, right? Um, versus something more like probably five or six x if I did it all in ES. So I'd just rather that situation. And you know, the grind down is the grind down. COVID wasn't a grind down, but it was kind of not a flat out plunge either. It was more like a an accelerated grind down, if you will. Whereas 1987 was a, a crash, and the the flash crash whenever that was 2011 was a crash and an intraday recovery as well. But we didn't, you know, you don't know if that's going to happen or not. So, um, it, yeah, it's a lot to balance when we're playing and I hate to say playing, but when we're dealing with our actual dollars, we can conceptualize what is and isn't. Um, but as you say, oftentimes, and I run into this all the time, I don't think people understand the notional, risk of what they have on, and I'm kind of like famous for coming up with these sci-fi type scenarios where an asteroid hits off the Atlantic coast and wipes out the Atlantic coast overnight while we sleep, the market's not going to open for a while. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We don't know what our existing options are going to do over that period. Exactly. And if we have options that mature in a week and the market doesn't open for two weeks, there's going to be chaos determining on whose options were this, that, or the other. Kind of like when things default and the credit default swaps come in, there's oftentimes argument, was it really a default? Like there's all kind of chaos. And ultimately here's what I think of, like, how am I going to be able to look at myself in the mirror? If we have an event that takes the S and P down to 3000 or 2,500, even if it's over the course of one to three days, because we have uh, circuit breakers. So, I mean, the circuit breakers are great, but when they unfreeze and they give you another 7% down, uh, uh, down draft in a 15 minute period, Guess what? You better be in front of your computer. You better be as sharp as sharp can be, and you better have some kind of idea of what you're doing. Otherwise, you're caught up in the bombshell event, and you really have no idea what to do with it.
0: And I was, was going to say, if you're caught in that event, then the 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 put press will not help right? no, you. No, no. Yeah, you need no. that tail head. There'll be a
1: Band-Aid on a cut artery at that point. Yeah. Really.
0: Uh, and one thing, uh, I, I try to make this analogy earlier. I'll, I'll use a more uh, simplified number to see if this makes sense. So, uh, and i don't know your exact ratio to the the spy puts to the the 111 but so spx is 10 times the size of spy okay so one naked put of spx is equivalent to 10 naked puts of spy okay just a straightforward number so mm-hmm. if for instance let's say you had a campaign of 10 naked puts of spy so 10 spy puts And you had a one contract 111 because you're trying to, like I said, quote unquote, finance that put debit spread. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In that instance, so you have 10 naked puts of SPY and you have 111, which is one put debit spread of SPX plus one more naked put of SPX. In that instance, right, right when you put it on, you know, before you've done any management, again, this is just the equivalent of having that put debit spread of SPX and Twenty naked puts of spy, right? Because the one naked put of SPX is ten mm-hmm. of spy. So yeah. what I was trying to challenge earlier was thinking that the the one 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 is kind of hedging the spy campaign. It can also be looked at as just trading a bigger spy campaign and trying to put a put debit spread, right? Because that that naked put is still it, risk. It is it's like one that. or the other. So so it, it is like that. Uh, and and again, like my point isn't to say what's a perfect strategy or what someone should or should not trade but recognizing different structures have different benefits and different behaviors and you need to understand what something is doing kind of from first principles in order to even know what you yourself want because you may not be getting what you think you're getting right Mm -hmm. and so um that's why like things with like when people say, oh, I do this because there's a build, built-in hedge or free hedge or fight," it's all marketing, right? <laughs> there's Nothing's free. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it, it's, it's, just, it's a way of like overly simplifying what's actually happening. But mm-hmm. once you understand what's happening, then you can be like, okay, I understand it does this when this happens or it does this because this happens. If I like that behavior or that fits what else I'm doing, sure, it's a good fit. But if you don't know why and you just think, oh, 111 is a free hedge, like it doesn't really make any sense, right? You might just be getting more trouble than you think you are, you know? So, exactly. Because that naked
1: it. that I'm selling has 500 shares of SPY equivalent.
0: Yeah. Oh, for you ES, know, correct. Can, correct.
2: Mm-hmm. You David earlier. The, the, the form of uh, hedging is size down, right? I think. Mm-hmm. Um, trade size. But also, I mean, just sitting on the sidelines. Uh, is another form like we got this debt crisis coming up in the next week or two. What's going to happen if, if we default? And maybe right now is a good time strategy is just okay, Ed's um, T bills, something like that. Um, so that's another form of civil so, If you don't, if, if you could see a crisis coming, you know, maybe certainly do things like that.
0: Yeah. And, um, Last thing I want to touch on before we wrap up, and just another curveball in t- terms of concepts, I think there can be a difference between hedging and diversifying. Now, sometimes they're the same, but I meant I made this point of like, if you're trading something that's the antithesis, right? That's going to have a drag just because of whatever you think it's going to have, right? It's just c- going to be a net negative o- on your overall PL. But if you can somehow find things that are uncorrelated or, you know, anti-correlated, but are still positive expectancy. Now, this is, I'm not saying this is easy by any means, but if you can find some kind of, you know, with management, some kind of uh you know, some some kind of put debit spread strategy, signal base or with management where in isolation it can still be positive expectancy. Then you're golden. Because if you can find something like that and you trade that with a, you know, like a short put campaign where which we want positive delta or whatever, right? It's a it's a bullish strategy. Then they can complement off each other where, like you said, hey, if it falls into the the bear trap, you know, it's going to profit when the other one but uh is hurting or whatever. But it's hard to do that. But if you can find something where like they're both in and of themselves positive expectancy and they just happen mm-hmm. to be complementary or anti-correlated. That's perfect. But if you find that the thing you're trading you know, is simply a drag, like if you isolated out that component and all it does is lose money, then again, that may not necessarily be, you may not be getting out of that what you think you are. Right? It like, implies there's a better way. Yeah, yeah, some, something like that. Um, now for tail hedging, I don't want to say this is like the magic bullet either, but um just use a a simple example. If you happen like if you have equities, okay, and you know, it's gonna be very volatile as you know, and you believe there's positive drift, you're gonna have, you know, eight, nine percent return over the long term, whatever. And as you said, in two thousand eight, you know, fifty, sixty percent drawdown, you know, twenty percent drawdown those are the, the drawdowns you you fear which is why we don't always like to do buy and hold right and if you are able to you know do this 3% portfolio hedge and yes you're throwing away 3% or whatever and you you if nothing happens right you, you're just throwing 3% in the trash for no reason year in and year out but if you happen to get lucky and time it perfectly or if you get lucky and in 2020, you actually monetize this thing at the peak, or not even that peak, you're able to make a large chunk of profits, right? And you're able to hedge off, instead of a 50% drawdown, you only had a, a you know a 20% drawdown, a 30% drawdown. You're able to save on that drawdown, and then you've monetized the hedge, and now you can take the monetization from the hedge, and you have that cash that you cashed out, and you can buy more stocks at the bottom, and you can write it up. There's something where you can actually... uh there's this idea that like one plus one does not have to equal two. One plus one can equal three or four because there's this mm-hmm. emergent property where you've cut down the volatility tax and then you've rebalanced at the right time. Again, I'm not saying this is easy or you should necessarily strive to capture this perfectly, but there are some emergent properties where if you can have a hedge that can cut drawdown enough and cut down volatility tax, there is this overall benefit to your bottom line but and and that sounds so nice, but that's extremely hard to do, which is why like for me i have I do have that flat three percent on Vibranium shield, but I'm hoping to if it comes to it, maybe another twenty twenty or something, I might get a nice pop, but I'm not dependent on it right I'm okay like i i've I've sized the rest of my portfolio, I have my other strategies, my return stacking like hey i'm 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 gonna be fine, I'm gonna hit my target even with that drag, and I recognize. I don't <laughs> there's no guarantee i'm gonna get that kind of that that magic you know emergent property or be able to rebalance and have that beautiful hedge right um but i recognize that and i acknowledge it and i accept it um but if you like make it a point to like get fancy and get cute and like oh i'm gonna uh take a big risk here because i want to throw like i, I somebody was tell me the other day other day like they want to have like 40% return target on Theta Engine, but like 10% budget for Vibranium Shield because it's gonna be like this amazing hedge when if it crashes, right? If it happens, sure. But you don't know this is gonna happen. And I really don't expect it to. So I'm okay just like budgeting a small amount. So that that's kind of the other kind of like the mindset thing. Like it's okay. And I recognize that those things can work out really well, but we can't like it's it's so hard. Um, it's almost not worth it, but I'm okay taking a small shot, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, you, you kind of just describing the, the holy grail there. It's very difficult, like uh, finding non-correlated assets. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that that's one aspect that used to work really well. I mean, for years, asset allocation—that's what I was doing with my major investments—and then in the last couple of years, everything's correlated. You know, it it all moves together, everything from Bitcoin to gold to equities.
1: Yeah, and and the zero interest rate on bonds really destroyed the the bond allocation Uh of like that 60-40 model that was so popular for so long. I mean, for years I've said bonds are not a good diversification anymore because they're distorted in an expensive, low-yielding way and 2022 was the major adjustment for that we could have more of it if rates continue to rise which you know we could have a separate debate on that but uh rates have more normalized and so that in- in- inflicted massive pain in fact i haven't looked but i would guess that the pain in the bond market was the same or maybe even more well, it was far last year okay so <clears throat> there was no hiding from that there and and as i hear your words I, I think of something like a uh, put credit spread in gold, and gold is usually skewed to the the call side, but maybe a put credit spread campaign on gold, along with a uh, a short premium strategy in in the SPX complex, not a strangle, because strangles, as long as everything's blowing up in one direction or the other, a strangle is not a strangle in gold is not necessarily going to offset a strangle. Right yes, They're going to both blow up in different directions. So we just saw that happening in March. So, that's not the answer in my opinion, but I do hear what you're saying, and these are the things I spend at night, is how do we mix and match these different things to come up with the best thing possible? I'm not even close to an answer there, but it's a great concept.
0: No, no. Well said. And, and I think that's something we'll definitely dive into. I know you are on Discord, so we'll probably have a lot of lengthy discussions. Um, in I'm closing, I it. will say... Uh, the Holy Grail aspect and the diversified streams of income, I agree, asset allocation is very difficult. But fortunately, I think we as options traders have the tools where you can make strategic like assets doesn't have to be um, literally buy and hold some you know commodities or equities or emerging markets or whatever it is. Like we can stack different strategies and diversify, right? Like T-bills is a base thing. That's one thing. But you know, zero DT in and of itself has some. If you do it right, it has low low correlation. Now, theta engine that's obviously correlated. But I've shown through the studies that you can get a nice exposure to beta, you know, which is the market, with a lot less of the traditional risk, the lower drawdowns, and all that. And I don't know if you guys are trading, you know, the the ERN strategy at all. But that th- there's definitely tools we have in here, and I think that's what excites me about. Uh, moving forward and kind of building these um, portfolios, and I, I don't know how caught up you guys are on the podcast, but like this last season's, I have all these guests on. It's, it's all been about like introducing different types of strategies, or like now there's you know trend following, and you can get ETFs that have exposure to you know CTAs, um, but stuff like that is is all stuff that, in and of itself, is a form of hedging, right? I, and I think honestly for me, that's the lower hanging fruit of hedging strategic diversification rather than uh, stretching your brain trying to find something that is counter to the main strategy you're trading just because you think it can save you in certain instances right i'm using i'm picking these words very deliberately because i'm trying to point out it's very hard whereas i think the lower hanging fruit is just diversify and, and try, mm-hmm. size each thing small and and do different things so um Hopefully, and like I said, the hour, we're a little over an hour, but the hour just flies by. So hopefully that's kind of giving you some food for thought in the audience as well. Um, and just like being able to kind of be a little creative and knowing what it is you want to get out of the strategies as opposed to always thinking there's this kind of magic, magic bullet. Thank you, David. Yep. Yeah.
2: Appreciate it. I think I've learned more than I've shared in this session,
0: but uh yeah, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, no problem. Ed and uh and Mike, glad you guys glad to have you guys on and uh we'll we'll see you around. See you guys. My pleasure.
1: Thank you so much. Okay. Thank
2: you.